Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. I want to thank you for tuning in. I am so glad to share the next few minutes with you today. I want you to find victory and life in Jesus Christ. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say we are learning how to live as God's people, reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. I want to encourage you to look us up on the web, on the internet at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. These podcasts, they're posted on our church website, so you can find them there. You can point someone else in the direction of our church website to get these podcasts, and you can subscribe to always get the next one. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Henry Ward Beecher writes these words, In this world, it is not what we take up, but what we give up that makes us rich. And so I'd ask you, how would you measure your life? Do you measure yourself by what you can take up for yourself, by what you can get, or by what you can give or already have given to others? A person who spends all their time and energy trying to get happiness, to get wealth, to get reputation, security, will ironically find themselves always just an arm's reach away from satisfaction. Today, I want to share with you a reading of scripture where Jesus describes his followers as his friends, and he calls them to their mission to love one another, to give to each other that love of Christ. And that phrase, love one another, that's a message you hear everywhere today. Despite rising conflict between people in our culture, in our country, in our world, there's always also a rise in the call of love one another. But this is also a problem because so many of us feel the pull to love others, but we don't necessarily know what it means or we're not necessarily equipped to love others rightly. Have you ever heard the phrase, when the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem becomes a nail? You tend to use what you have on hand to fix a problem, even when it's not the right tool, and that can sometimes make the problem way worse. And when it comes to loving one another, it seems like everyone has a different tool. Some have hammers, some screwdrivers, some saws, crowbars, power tools, hand tools. Imagine it, they've got it. That's to say this. Everyone has their own idea on what it means to love one another. For some, it means to just let everyone live and let live. For others, it's to help others become successful, to protect others, to go after the powerful in defense of others, to make sure others are happy or to make sure they're healthy or secure. There's all kinds of things that people say, well, that's what loving others is. For as many people as there are, there are as many ideas of what it looks like to love one another. And so we feel the pull to love others, but we are uncertain of what it really means. Add to this that our society has no shortage of people who want to point out those who somehow fall short in the expectation of loving one another. You know, just point it out. Call out people you didn't love rightly enough. When you add that to the situation, it just makes the task of loving one another overwhelming. So what are we to do? How do you know that you are loving rightly or effectively? 
How do you show love that is real and transformative? And so I'd have this for you today. Your greatest calling is to love one another with the love of Jesus that is sacrificial and redemptive. Your greatest calling, let me say it again, your greatest calling is to love one another with the love of Jesus that is sacrificial and redemptive. Now, I didn't say love like Jesus. If you want satisfaction in life and want to love others well, you need to love, you need the love of Jesus in your life. And then you need to give that very love to others. It's not just imitation of Christ's love. You need Jesus' actual love in your life. You need him in your life to be able to love others well. I want to draw your attention to a few points before I read our text for the today so that you can kind of have these in your mind and listen for them. Our text is going to start and end with Jesus commanding his disciples to love each other. That should get our attention. This command becomes the book cover, if you will, of the Christian life. And yes, people do judge books by their cover. The heart of the text, as you hear it, will be in sacrifice, uh, a sacrifice of laying one's life down for others. And that's the substance of Jesus' love for you and me. Everything in this text is about loving one another rightly with Jesus' love. So let's go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 12 through 17. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. The call to love must come from Jesus. See, Jesus speaks these words to his disciples at dinner time, just before he's arrested. Some of his very last words to his disciples. It is his last words to his disciples before the crucifixion. Judas Iscariot, he's already departed to go and alert the authorities on where they can find and arrest Jesus at a place that's out of the public eye. So these are the final moments before Jesus goes to trial and then to the cross. And these are the words that Jesus feels are most important to leave with his followers. Scholars take a look at this portion of scripture and they've labeled it the farewell discourse. And the whole of it spans between, uh, it's in John chapter 14 through the end of John 17. So it's a couple chapters there. And right in the middle of it is the heart of Jesus' parting words. Love one another, but not just any love will do. 
because Jesus emphasizes the importance of love, but he makes it clear that real love is divine. It comes from God. It comes from Jesus. I've already mentioned that our text begins and ends with a call to love one another. It's a book cover by which a Christian is judged by those who don't know Jesus. But do not miss the issuer, the one who makes the call to love. Jesus calls the Christians to love others. This is Jesus' command. He's calling the disciples and the church to love one another. And this is a critical point. Seeing love as anything else other than a calling is to forfeit the proper equipment to love rightly and to love well. Loving one another is not just a universal idea. It's not something the disciples just dreamed up and thought, that sounds good. It's not just a nice thing or an innately right thing. It's more than that. Loving one another is a command issued by Jesus, and it can only be carried out when it is done by his authority to his expectations and when we have Jesus himself in our lives as our Savior. Earlier in John 15, verse 5, so not that many verses earlier, Jesus compares himself to a vine and his followers as branches of that vine. And he says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. You and I can only love rightly when we have received the love of Jesus ourselves and when when he has become the foundation of our lives and our love. He, Jesus, must be the source of this sort of living. And he must be the prime example of love. Can you say that Jesus is the source of your life? of your love, that you are rooted in him as the vine? This text also tells us not one, not first it tells us that Jesus is the one who calls us to love, and it must be a call from him, but it also tells us of the quality of that love, and that quality must be a sacrifice. So Jesus is the source, and he's the prime example of love. He's the one that calls us, but then he tells us what that calling looks like. And for this, I want to read again John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is the beating heart of the text. No greater love than this is to lay down one's life for one's friends. In other words, love requires sacrifice, and sacrifice is going to be costly. Everything about Jesus' earthly ministry was a costly sacrifice. He is the Son of God. He is God. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's seated on the throne of heaven, and yet he's willing, being the King, being God, being the Son of God, he's willing to put all that aside to be born a babe in a manger, a humble birth. It's a sacrifice. He's the creator of the universe, and he's willing to be birthed into creation. That's a sacrifice. He's the author of life, and yet he lays down his life on the cross for you and me. It is a sacrifice. Romans 5, verses 7 and 8 tell us this. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. Jesus' sacrifice was for the benefit of all humankind, for anybody who would receive his salvation. I like to read Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, to help uh, explain very simply what it takes to receive this gift from Jesus. And it reads like this, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by your heart that you, are, that you believe and are justified, and it is by your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Jesus' sacrifice was costly, and Jesus' sacrifice was for your benefit, for your eternal benefit. When we love one another, it must be, yeah, another quality of that love must be for the benefit of others. And ultimately, when we love others, it must be for their eternal benefit. I want to mention for you uh, one of our famous Quakers, uh, friends, uh, founder of Pennsylvania, William Penn. And uh, he wrote these words, and I think they're words that we need to keep in mind when we talk about the quality of love being sacrificial. He says, Christ's cross is Christ's way to Christ's crown. So often we want the crown, we want the reward, but it takes sacrifice first. A life of sacrifice for others is a way to satisfaction, is the way to satisfaction. I have a story to share um, about Corey Ten Boom. And uh, she writes these words uh, The measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. And uh, if you're not familiar with Corey Ten Boom, you really need to look into her story. She wrote a book, The Hiding Place, a wonderful book. Um, and uh, let me just tell you a little bit about her, in case you don't know much about her. Cornelia Corey Ten Boom grew up uh, in a Christian family. Uh, during World War II, she and her family uh, harbored hundreds of Jews to protect them from arrest by the Nazi authorities. They had a small place built in their home that could uh, hold up to six people. Uh, to hide from the security sweeps of the Nazis, uh, Corey eventually coordinated a network of safe houses to help Jewish refugees flee the country. Uh, and then the Ten Boom family was eventually betrayed by fellow Dutch citizens, a fellow Dutch citizen, and the entire family was imprisoned, put in the very camps uh, that the Jewish people were being put in. Um, Corey managed to survive. She started a worldwide ministry uh, and told her story in the book The Hiding Place. Um, that's a story of great personal sacrifice for the benefit of others for their very lives. And I'll tell you this, when you're thinking about how to love others, it was the sacrifice she made that has blessed generations. Loving each other needs to be from Jesus. Um, if you want to have that kind of depth and reach and meaning in the way that you love others. There's another quality about uh, loving one another that we need to talk about today before we're done, and that is that this kind of love changes other people into friends. Aristotle writes, wishing to be friends is quick work, but friendship is a slow ripening fruit. It takes time, it takes effort, and as we've seen today, it takes a lot of self-sacrifice. Eugene Peterson writes these words, Friendship takes what is common in human experience and turns it into something 
holy. And I think that's good for us to keep in mind. Um, all throughout our text today in John 15, 12 through 17, there's this key word, friend. And friend isn't just a nice thing. It's not just a, a, a sort of relationship here. It really is a holy thing. Jesus is laying down his life for his friends because he cares about their eternity. We're no longer slaves, but we are friends. And that's important to know. Loving one another, loving sacrificially, loving others like Jesus does, changes their status. They become friends. And Jesus, laying down his life for you and for me, affords us the privilege of becoming friends of God. That's a title, if you look through the Old Testament, it's given to Abraham, it's given to Moses, and not too many others. But now it's available to anyone who would receive Jesus to be a friend of God. And, and you got to wonder, what's so great about being a friend of God? Well, we're Valley, Valley View Friends Church. And I just point out that John 15 is where our church and our denomination gets its name. Because we are the Society of Friends. We're evangelical friends. We're a friend's church. But most people don't realize that our name is tied to scripture. I think a lot of people just drive past our church and say, oh, friends, must be a bunch of nice people. But it's a lot more than that in our name. When Jesus calls us friends, he means that he has chosen you and me. And how wonderful it is to be chosen. You don't have to worry about earning earning the privilege to be called a friend or losing it. He's chosen. And Jesus has revealed the Father to us. He makes it known, the Father's plans, and and all we need to know to thrive in eternity has been made known to us. Christ's friendship affords you and me access to God. It's a holy thing. And as a church, we take very seriously these words of Jesus. We are friends. He's promised us that. And we are to love one another just as Jesus has loved you and me. And that means we're to love others sacrificially for their benefit. We have a statement at Valley View, friends, and you hear it at the beginning of each of these podcast episodes, that we are reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. John 15 echoes that statement. We are called by Jesus to love one another, and as a congregation, we seek to reach people with the good news of Jesus and restore people with the good news of Jesus. And that requires sacrifice on our part. And it can only be accomplished because Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. We live for the benefit of others. We live to glorify God. We have eternal life because Christ has died for us and calls us friends. I'd like to point out a story of John Woolman, another friend. He lived from 1720, died in 1772. And uh, much of what I'm going to share about him is an excerpt from a book. I'll tell you about that book in a moment here. Uh, but John William John Woolman, I'm sorry, uh, was an early friend who was willing to make sacrifices and stand up against the issue of slavery. 
And here's part of the excerpt. It reads like this. Woolman's convictions about the evil, evil slavery grew, and he traveled long distances to labor for the freedom of slaves. He journeyed to Maryland, to North Carolina, to Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. Woolman's influence was significant, and his style was powerful, sometimes silently powerful. He often witnessed by his actions. For example, when staying with slave owners, he refused free hospitality given by the slaves. Instead, he left money with the slave owners, in, to give the slaves um, in payment for the services that he that they gave him. In 1758, he was hosted by Thomas Woodward, and Woolman noticed servants and noticed the servants and learned that they were slaves. And yet he was silent about his belief against slavery. But later that night, getting up out of bed, he wrote a note to the Woodwards explaining the reason he could not accept their hospitality. He went to the slaves' quarters. He paid them for their services. Walked out into the dark. And left. Woolman's silent testimony pierced the heart of Thomas Woodward, and he set free all of his slaves. Further evidence of Woolman's convictions against slavery were his refusal to eat sugar processed by slaves, to drink from silver cups made by slaves, to wear dyed clothing because dyes were often made by slaves. That same year, Woolman spoke so convincingly at the Philadelphia Yearly Meeting, it's a gathering of many friends' congregations, that all members of the Yearly Meeting removed slavery from their midst, and by 1785, all friends' churches in America stood against slavery, eventually leading to many friends who would help with the Underground Railroad. Um, as Quakers, as friends, we have a long heritage of personal sacrifice to show the love of Christ to others. I'd like to recommend that little book. It's one that my wife Betsy read over the Christmas holidays. It's called Quaker Leaders Who Transformed the World. It's by David King Ray. Uh, it's a collection of uh, 33 quick little biographies, and, and they're very short, of notable friends. Each entry is just a couple pages long, maybe two pages, maybe four pages, um, and the book can be read in just a few hours, but the stories in it echo over and over and over that the Christian is a person who sacrificially loves others. And because we are friends of God, we are called to treat others as friends as well, to care about them. And uh, we need to do that. It's a high calling of our text today, and it's a heritage we have as a friend's church. As I draw to a close, I simply want to put a few questions to you for consideration. Firstly, and most importantly, I would ask you this. Have you received the salvation of Jesus? Now, maybe when you hear that question, you're going, ah, you know, but there's a lot of stuff I regret in my life. It's, uh, I, I've had all these things in my past, and I wish I was different then. There's a Chinese proverb I like. It goes like this. The best day to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best day is today. And maybe you're hearing about Jesus. Maybe you're going, yeah, I want Jesus in my life. But you're thinking about that past. Don't let the past cause you to miss the blessing of being a friend of Jesus today of receiving salvation from Jesus today, of inviting Jesus today into your life, because today is the best day to do it. Today's the best day to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Thank you. So do you know Jesus? Have you received salvation? That's the first question. 
But then I would ask, what is it that you're living for? How do you measure your life? Do you live to be a friend of God and to bring out the best in others, to love one another, as this passage asks us to? To love with a quality that is sacrificial? To love with a quality that benefits and blesses and elevates others? Know this, that Jesus has chosen you. He wants you. He died for you, and he loves you. But then he calls you to answer his calling. Will you do that? Let's pray. And the prayer I want to pray is actually a written prayer. Written prayer by John Wesley. John Wesley, it's called his covenant prayer. And his covenant prayer demonstrates a level of sacrifice sacrifice and devotion to Jesus that has been rarely matched. Um, how many of us have asked for suffering? Not many. But he asks for suffering in order to experience humility and the spirit uh, that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a prayer that focuses us to ask how committed we are to God's will in our lives. And so I want you to listen to this prayer and maybe you could make it your own. And so here's John Wesley's prayer, covenant prayer. He writes, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put to me what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine, and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. It's a good prayer. Can you make it your own? Go with Jesus.